while we're doing that, um, step one for me, when you take a look at it, and, and I, don't want to, we, I want to get to this exercise, so we're going to go through this really quick. You know, we admitted we're powerless over alcohol. Uh, I'm just a little bit over 20 years sober. You know, a lot of people have a hard time with that. I got sober as a teenager. There's a couple of people in this room that got sober as teenagers. Uh, it's like old homework, home week for me for, in some ways to see some of the people here, which is a real gift. Um, so if I've been sober for 20 years, is alcohol my problem? Can't be. I haven't had a drink of alcohol in 20 years. You know, but then again, if alcohol is not my problem, how does step one apply to me, right? You have to work step one 100% according to the 12 and 12. How does that apply to me if I haven't had a drink in 20 years? That's what this exercise is about. Because step one's got that funny little dash in it. And most people don't know what the dash means. Well, here's out of a 1947 dictionary, under uh, the word dash, it says, to indicate a break in thought, to mark a summing up. What that means is everything that comes after the dash applies to what happens in front of the dash. So if we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, dash, that our lives become unmanageable, it's the unmanageability that applies to my life. Because I have the disease of alcoholism, I have a lack of power. That is my problem. I need power. 20 years sober, I still need power. I need more power than I did when I was one day sober. I need more and more power. Remember the analogy I was using about spiritually? I have to grow spiritually to offset my disease, which is my spiritual disease, which is continuing. So with that logic, if alcohol is not my problem, what is my problem? The unmanageability in my life. Hence the exercise that you've got. Why don't you guys go ahead and whip out that exercise? All right. Thanks. All right. You notice at the top I say, use the tornado exercise. There's a line in the big book. It talks about alcoholics. It says, we are like the tornadoes roaring through the people's lives. What does that mean? For those of you that have seen me before, you know what that means. But what I do is I start, and I, be, I am the tornado, right? I'm the alcoholic roaring through people's lives. So I start with myself, and I start to spiral out. If, if I start to spiral out, who do I hit first? I hit the people that are closest to me. So when I say use the tornado exercise, think about... How do these questions apply? Like it's when we start getting down, built into these questions are the, are the bedevilments from page 52. You'll recognize them. They're hidden in there. I changed the words, obviously, but they're in there. Start thinking, you know, when, has anybody told you that you're grumpy lately? Well, who, would that, who are you talking about? Well, think about the people that are closest to you, your husband, your wife, your kids, you know, and then spiral the tornado out. Who are you going to hit next? Maybe it's your people at work. You spend a lot of time at work. You know, is it your coworkers, your boss? You know, and then spiral the tornado out even further. Is it the people at church or your community group or whatever? Spiral the tornado through your life with these questions. When you start to ask yourself these questions, don't just jump at what. Remember consideration. It's important to take a look at that. All right. Before we jump in at these questions, one of the things that I think we're going to try to do this weekend is to clear our minds. Now, I'm sure there's people that have been doing meditation for years, but I also know there's some newcomers that have never done meditation, don't know anything about it. All right. So before we get going, one of the things that I want to do you know, is do a real quick down and dirty meditation. We'll talk you through a meditation, at least how I was taught how to do meditation. Talk about some of the basic principles of meditation, to kind of demystify what meditation is all about. 
And in that process, we'll clear our minds and then we'll take a look. We'll spend maybe five minutes looking at these questions and then you can finish it up tonight because then there's one other thing that I want to do is I want to give you an exercise when we wake up in the morning before you come down and we start the workshop. There's a couple things that I'd like you to try sort of after you've done this exercise and you've slept on it overnight and you wake up in the morning, you know, to get you going in the right direction. All right. Meditation. To me, it's just clearing my mind. It's, It's being... Who and what I am right here, right now. If my lower back is bothering me, it's just being in this room and feeling the pain in my lower back. It's nothing mystical. I don't try to imagine myself going anywhere. Nice, not in the beginning when I'm doing a real basic meditation. And all I'm trying to do is to get cognizant and present so that I get what I call the hamster off the wheel. If I'm thinking about work and the highway and the person over there and the things I got to do when I get back to work on Monday, that's the hamster on the wheel. If I'm thinking about my disease and how step one applies to me and all the rest of the stuff, that's the hamster on the wheel. I try to clear my mind of everything and just imagine myself sitting right here right now. So the first thing to do is to get in a comfortable position, to sit up straight on your chair. All right? For those of you who are like me, particularly the gentlemen in the room, if you have a spare tire, you want to pull it up and get it up over the top of your belt. Because there's something in your, in your body called your abdomen. And one of the things that anything tight around your waist is going to block is your abdomen. And one of the beauties of meditation, when you're breathing properly, is to allow the air to go into your stomach, like you're breathing through your stomach, through your belly button. And the only way to do that is to allow it to expand. And if you've got the tight belt wrapped up around it, you don't get that. And the, 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 the diaphragm and the breathing isn't going to be able to happen. So if you've got a spare tire, get it up and over, over your belt so that you can breathe properly. All right? One of the other things that I like to do is, is for meditation is if you're going to clear your mind, it's much harder for me to focus on something if, if, because I'm a very visual person. So I close my eyes. Well, the moment I close my eyes, the hamster jumps on the wheel for me. So I need to get a vision in my mind. So what I envision, and very, when I first started to do meditation was I used a crutch. I would take my index finger and I would touch the septum of my nose. The, the thing that separates your two nostrils, just touch it very lightly so you just feel exactly where it is. Then I'd close my mind, close my eyes, and as I'm breathing, I start, would start by feeling the air going past that point into my nose. And then you feel the air going through the back of your throat. And then you feel the air go down through your throat. And you're not controlling it, you're just allowing it to happen. And it goes down, and you next thing you know, you feel your stomach expand. And as you fill up your diaphragm, and once that process is finished, however long, don't try to take in a super deep breath. Just allow it to come in. Then you follow that exact same air back out the other direction. So I'm going to continue to talk to you a little bit as we start to breathe. The key here is don't force anything. Let it be. If you're in pain, let the pain be. If, if your chair is uncomfortable, let it be uncomfortable. Just watch your breathing. And if you need to, just touch the tip of your nose before you close your eyes and imagine the air coming in through your, through your nose. Follow the air coming in. Follow the air going out. Now, without opening your eyes, imagine the entire room is filled with a mist, a fog. And you can sense the fog coming through your nose now. Imagine the fog coming into your lungs and filling your lungs. 
down into your stomach. Then the fog goes back out through your nose. Now start at the top of your head and see, is there anything that's bothering you? Does your ear itch? Does your eye twitch? Is your shoulder sore? Is your back bothering you? Feel the weight of your body on your, on your tuchus as it sits on the chair. Feel the pressure underneath the soles of your feet. Feel your toes. And bring your thoughts back to your breathing. The air coming in. The air going out. Meditation is that simple. Gets you here in the room with us. Right here, right now. Now grab a pencil and let's take five minutes and we'll look at those questions for step one exercise. <coughs> Did anybody have trouble with that meditation before we go on? Yeah? What, tr what did you have trouble with? You kept thinking the hamster was on the wheel? There's only one thing I can offer, and that is practice. You know, my, Mark always says, discipline is the horse I ride. If you try that, and you do it, and you do it, and you do it, eventually you'll get the hamster off the wheel. Um, tonight, your homework assignment is to finish all 30 questions. All right? But it gets better. I'm just like a, the, the evil professor. We got another handout. What you guys are about to get is called the wake up and greeting exercise. All right. Um, obviously, somebody's read the exercise already. Here's the deal with this exercise. Uh, no, wake up and greeting is being passed out. You didn't get one for yourself? Too selfless. That's a rarity. Anyway, uh, here's the deal. In your packets, in your folders that you got when you registered, there's a couple things in there that, that I already handed out. One of which is called the Lost Principles. It's the principles from the Lost Chapters. It's the principles, you know, step 12 says, practice these principles in all our affair. The question begs to be asked, what are the principles? Well, obviously, there's the 12 steps. There's 12 principles. And there's the 12 traditions. There's 12 more. And the, there's the, the 12 concepts. All right, just within our circle and triangle, on the three sides of the circle and triangle from the big book, we have 36 spiritual principles. All right? Buried within the 12 concepts is the six warranties. All right? But there's a whole bunch of other principles, specifically principles we're supposed to be using with our families. All right? So I went into the lost chapters and I pulled out the principles from the lost chapters. And you'll notice that some of the words are bold. 
what I do is I've added in my morning prayer and meditation, I've added the bold words. So when I'm praying in the morning, I will ask God to help me never be angry, to give me patience, help me have a good temper, to help me to be reasonable, not be critical, not to take sides in any argument. And I just add those into my prayer and meditation. All right? There's another thing called Just for Today cards uh, that you'll see. Uh, they used to be very prevalent in AA. A lot of intergroups have stopped printing them. And I got sober on the Just for Today card. It was one of the first assignments my sponsor gave to me. Uh, Al-Anons very often print the Just for Today cards. Uh, what I did was I took some of the principles from the Just for Today cards from, uh, from the old days, and I added some of my twist to it. So I've plagiarized and I've modified. Here's 10 things to try just for today. So if you, if you want to try to add those. The whole idea is to have a new experience as we go through this retreat. But there is the waking up exercise. And this is something that you can try the principles. You can try the, the, uh, the, the just for today things if you choose, so choose to have a new experience. I recommend them highly. But I would like you to do this exercise, the waking up and greeting exercise. It starts at the top. Uh, Bonte Wamala, interesting character, uh, very spiritual guy. He says, each day is in, has 30, uh, correction, 86,000 seconds. Think of it as $86,000. How do you want to spend yours today? Time is all we have right here, right now. The past is gone, and the future may not get here. So right here, right now, is when we're spending the most valuable resource we have, and that's the present moment. And it's the only place that God can be found, is right here in the present moment. So I like to start my day. You know, if I come flying out of the bed, you know, and the alarm clock is, you know, I sleep with four or five, depending on the night, how many alarm clocks I have to get me out of the bed, you know, if I come flying out of bed because the alarm clock went off and I jump and, I, and now life is dictating how I'm going to get going. It's not because I set my alarms early. I'm going to get up and pray and meditate and I'm just kind of going at a nice smooth pace. I'm going off like my hair's on fire. I got a problem already because I'm cramming too much into the stream of life. I'm not connected to God. And what happens when we're not connected to God? We're wide open for suddenly or a strange mental blank spot to come along. All right? So linger in bed. Think about it. I gaze around the room. Oh, I'm in a different place. I travel for a living. For some people that don't travel, this is going to be a new experience. It's to lie in bed and you kind of wake up and you kind of go, wow, where am I? Oh, I'm at the Wilson house. Look around the surroundings. Look at the wallpaper. Pay attention to what's in your room. Just relax. Stretch. Start stretching in your, your body right then. And then I immediately go in, in into some of the gifts. I, I say the prayer of Jabez, which I wrote down here on the sheet. So how are you going to do this if you don't have it memorized? You're going to need to leave this sheet next to your bed if you, so you can reach over, grab it, and go through it and go through this exercise. There's blanks. Just fill in the blanks with whoever you want. Just follow the instructions as you go down. All right? There's a, a challenge to check your compassion for others. I'm not going to bother to read that now. You'll read it when you, when you get down to it. At the very bottom of the sheet, here's the exercise. From this point forward, and I suggest we do it after we close tonight, and every time we start a new session, and every time you wake up and you come down the stairs, I am hoping that you will do this exercise, and that is to greet someone new. Go up to somebody that you've never be met before, all right, and smile at them. There's a power of human compassion in the smile. It's a direct connection to the soul of the other person. You're offering the smile. My face, I don't mind it. I'm always behind it. It's the people out front that I jar. I can't see my own smile but you do. And I go directly into your soul when I give you a really a heartfelt, warm smile. What's the first thing any newborn baby, you know, not a newborn, but a little child, once, once that shock of being coming into this earth is born, what do they do when the first time they meet somebody, even a little infant? 
they smile. They see it could be Jeffrey Dahmer looking into their little crib, and what do they do? They look up and they go, and they smile. It triggers something in a human being. Is the power of a smile. So, pick somebody that you've never met before. Walk up, take their hand. There's the power of human touch. Grab their hand, and while you're shaking their hand and saying hi, my name's Dave. How you doing? Smile. Look them in the eye, and give them a compliment of some way. It's very nice. Thank you for being part of this workshop. It's nice to meet you. Where are you from? Something simple. You know, if you get some kind of a, if they're cranky and they haven't done their prayer meditation yet and they're like, get the hell away from me, let it roll off your back. Go try it with somebody different. You know, try it between the breaks. Get to know, we are a spiritual body. Get to know the people here. All right. We're going to be trying lots of different things. When you go to get ready for bed tonight, Here's a challenge for those of you really want you want the extra credit points tonight. Brush your teeth with your opposite hand. If you're right-handed, I want you to brush your teeth with your left hand. The whole purpose. And the of, guy who was reading, find out his name so you can write inventory on and share with the whole group. <laughs> the whole goal here is to try something new. All right, we've given you a lot. We've we've thrown a lot at you, uh, and it's getting late. So. Um, why don't, we, why don't we close in prayer and, and we'll go back to our hamsters on our wheel and stuff and, uh, and, and then we'll go, we'll go do our homework. Two real quick things before you guys get up and run out. Tomorrow morning at 6 a.m., I know it's early, but at 6 a.m. there's a great prayer room right down here on the right-hand side. Oh, is it 6.30? I lied, all right? I stand corrected. 6.30, there's a prayer meeting down there. They go over Oswald Chambers. It's a, if you're willing to get up early on a Saturday morning, it's a great thing to do. And then immediately following that, they go right into breakfast. Tomorrow, you're going to start needing your name tags. So if you haven't registered, you haven't got your folder, go get your folders, get your name tags, because you're going to need that in order to eat tomorrow morning. So that's, that's it. Uh, do you want to take them out in prayer more? No, that's all right. Let them go. We just did one. Okay. You guys comfortable with that? God bless us all until we come back in the spiritual body meets just, again tomorrow. Just so you know, you, every breath is a prayer. Sometimes we just do it more formally than others. See you in the morning. Thanks for being here. Amen. Morning, everybody. Uh, we're going to open this up with uh, three minutes of meditation, followed by, uh, if you'd please be kind enough, join me in the third step prayer after the uh, uh, meditation, please. Hey, Dave. Uh, real quickly, I just want to do some uh, administration recap as well. For those of you who weren't here last night, um, there's study guides in this box. If you didn't get one, come up and take one. Uh, we're short on numbers, uh, so don't take extra copies, please, if you don't have to. Um, there's also the, uh, if you didn't get it last night because you weren't here, there is a waking up exercise and a step one uh, worksheet of questions that uh, we're going to be basing the entire weekend off. So if you didn't get one of those and you haven't done it, by all means, grab it and uh, and fill that out because um, that's what we're going to be using. <clears throat> the uh, the study guides that we use all use um, they're all references to it are from the study edition of the big book and. Um, those are available back in the in the side there for six bucks. There's a can. Just throw six bucks in the can. Um, the other thing that we're doing this weekend is uh, we're running a 
to try to help raise money for the Wilson House for a sprinkler system for the house. So, uh, and Glenn has donated two sets of tapes. So we're going to auction off the two sets of tapes with, the, with those tickets, and then we'll uh, have a 50-50 raffle uh, at the end of the weekend. Um, I don't know who did it, but whoever the anonymous donor was, these are beautiful. Thank you very much. What a gift. Um, I'm assuming it's a gift. If it's not, I'll make amends for it later. I j- you just lost a book. <clears throat> um, let's see. Um, that's about it for the administration stuff. Um, last night we, we started out slowly, and uh, there was a reason for that, to try to get, get us into the, the right mindset to, to get rid of the cares of the day and the week and, and get the hamster off the wheel and slow down a little bit mentally and uh, talk a little bit about prayer and meditation and, and give you guys a start um, with what this weekend is about. And this weekend's all about change. It's about what's the next step on the road to emotional sobriety using the 12 steps after you got some sobriety under your belt. And, um, you know, hopefully you, you, you saw those of you who were, were uh, willing enough to do the exercise last night of brushing your teeth with the other hand. Difficult, huh? A slight little change. Alcoholics don't like change, you know. And change isn't the enemy. We think that change is the enemy, and it's not. Everything about life is is change. If change were the enemy, then life would be your enemy, and it's not. It's your greatest ally. The enemy is our resistance to change, and that's a mental deal. That's us not. That's inertia. That's us not wanting to expose ourselves to change, and it's because of control, you know. And it's as simple as doing something different. Combing your hair. Oh, did he say combing your hair? Yeah, that's your next exercise. When you go to comb your hair anytime today, comb it with the other hand. Give it a shot. Watch how difficult it is, you know. But speak to somebody that's got their arm in a sling, who's, you know. <laughs> who's now all of a sudden forced to do things with her other hand, and I, I bet you they would tell you that they really wish that they were more ambidextrous than they are. Change is not a bad thing. It's what we do with the change, you know, and if we're open to it and receive it, especially if it's God's will. Because if we're in that re- resistance mode, we're not just resisting life, we're resisting God. And what God, God does not lead us by neon signs. He doesn't send a sign down and say, Dave, go this way. You know, my sponsor described it as breadcrumbs. You know, you know, the old Hansel and Gretel story, you know, you find your way back with the breadcrumbs. Well, he said, you know, that's what you need to look for. God will lead you by the breadcrumbs. And if you're up here looking about how you're going to get your life, you're not paying attention to what's around you. You're going to miss the breadcrumbs and go right off the road. It's the same deal. Little, tiny little changes. Um, a couple things have been pointed out to me. Number one, for those of you that looked at the guide, there's no page eight in the guide. No, it's not a malfunction. All right. According to Mark, all the really important things, the real magic that you need to get out of this weekend was on page eight. <laughs> so, <laughs> slow burn on that one, huh, man? And, and when you finish all your amends, it will appear in your book. <laughs> Here's the real deal. I don't know how to work Microsoft Word. And when you change the format from from a normal layout to a horizontal layout, for some reason on my computer, it skips, it adds an extra page in there. When I printed it, I didn't print it because I didn't want to waste the money to print a blank page. So that's where page eight is. But it gets you thinking. And you know the neat gift is? It tells me that people bother to take a look at those guides and flip through it and say, what's in here? 
you know, and there's so much material in there, you're not going to have time this weekend to take a look at it and absorb it. So you're going to have to bring it home with you and take a look at that stuff. And I find that most people say that it becomes really a valuable tool when they go to start 12-stepping somebody and lead a sponsee through the work. And, and they, you know, you have that mental uh, uh, amnesia. You know, you have a senior moment and you kind of go, uh, well, let's take a look at this guide because it's all laid out there very anally. Um, the formats the, uh, uh, that describe our secessions, that, that, uh, the times, my apologies for the fact that it's in military time. Uh, I'm in the military if you can't figure that out. And every year I forget, and every year it comes out of military time. Uh, just subtract 12 if you can't figure it out, and, you'll, and it'll get you back to the normal times. Um, the bold times are the important ones. Those are, those are the times we're going to eat. Those are the st- really the starts and the stops. And we're going to let the spirit direct us where we're going to go you know, through this weekend. Um, How is everybody enjoying the food this morning and last night? Pretty good, huh? Take the time to thank the people and you see working in the kitchen. Remember, we're all, everybody's volunteering here. You know, they, they're giving of themselves. A lot of love goes into that food. And, I, and, and not just the camaraderie. It's easy to get caught up in the camaraderie and fellowship and talking at the table. You're going, wow, this is really good food. Then you forget. You know, you're, and then you're back in here and you're drinking a cup of coffee and going, man, wasn't that dinner really good? And you never bothered to thank the guy in the kitchen. Um, rules of engagement. Yeah, I know, military. But rules of engagement. <laughs> Honesty, open mind. Lack of prejudice. Don't preconceive anything or you're going to miss the jewel. This weekend is, is, is nothing. Ma- we don't have any magic up here. We've got our experience. And we've got, the, the real magic was given to us in the big book. The problem is we had this beautiful diamond and we dropped it in the mud. And alcoholics, we pick up this diamond and it's a diamond and it's covered with, with, with mud and manure. And we just don't, we're just too lazy to wipe the dirt off to look at the real jewel that's underneath. That's just too much work for us sometimes. Unless, of course, our lives depend on cleaning up that diamond and watching the sparkle. You know? And with that diamond, you'll pay, it'll buy you a new life, a spiritual life. Uh, so it's well worth it. If I can encourage anybody to have the open mind enough, just let this experience happen. Enjoy the weekend as it comes. Um, uh, yes, thank you, Mark. There's mics up here. There's a cordless mic here, and there's a cordless mic back at Glenn's taping table. On the bottom of the mic, down here, there's an on-off switch. This is your weekend. One of the things we're going to be doing is we're going to be asking questions, and through the exercises, a number of people come up to me and said, hey, I had this experience last night, yada, yada, yada. That's what these are for. Share it with the group. You know, you may have an experience that 15 other people in the room have had the exact same experience, and everybody's afraid to talk about it. Have the courage to turn the mic on and say, you know what, because we're going to have a lot of open mic time for you guys. Grab the mic, boom, and share about it as, as we go through the weekend because this is your weekend. Hold on to the mic when you're done with it. Just turn it off, and whoever needs the mic next, just pass it around. There's one back here. There'll be one up here. If the end of the session comes and you're still holding on to the mic, please just turn it off, bring it up here, and put it on the table, and we'll start the next, the next session from there. You know? Um, I can't even pronounce this Greek guy's name. Epictetus. He was born. He lived from 50 to 138 A.D. He said it is impossible for a man to learn what he thinks he already knows. You know, uh, and, and you know, there's that great quote from Herbert Spencer in the back of the Big Book. You know, there is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all argument, which cannot fail to keep man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Open your mind. See what there is to see. 
about this weekend and a new way to look at the steps, and I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. Um, yesterday, uh, Mark talked about the donkey parable. Well, believe it or not, Dr. Bob wrote his own donkey parable version story, really. Um, it comes from a 1944 grapevine. He says, During nine years in AA, I have observed that those who follow Alcoholics Anonymous program with the greatest earnestness and zeal not only maintain sobriety, but often acquire finer characteristics and attitudes as well. One of these is tolerance. Tolerance expresses itself in a variety of ways, in kindness and consideration towards a man and woman who is just beginning to march along the spiritual path, in the understanding of those who perhaps have been less fortunate, in education, advantage, and in sympathy towards those whose religious ideas may seem to be a great variance with our own. I am reminded of, in this connection of the picture of a hub with its radiating spokes. We all start out in the outer circumference and approach our destination by one of the many routes. To say that one spoke is much better than all the other spokes is true only in the sense that it is being best suited to you as an individual. Human nature is such that without some degree of tolerance, each one of us might be inclined to believe that we have found the best and perhaps the shortest spoke. Without some tolerance, we might uh, tend to become a bit smug or superior, which, of course, is not helpful to the person we are trying to help and may be quite painful or obnoxious to others. No one of us wishes to do anything that might act as a deterrent to the advancement of another, and a patronizing attitude can readily slow up this process. If you don't agree with what we're sharing here, try applying what you do. Do you have an experience that matches it? If you don't, go get the experience before you judge us. We're going to be talking about all kinds of things. I can speak for myself. I steal from everybody, as I shared last night. I'll be talking Christianity and Buddhism and Taoism and Shintoism, soup to nuts. If there's a way to get closer to God, I want to know about it. And I'm going to try to apply it. But my foundation is first and foremost always the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Because that's what I learned. And then I build upon that. I use those basic principles as my foundation. And I have an open mind to try new experiences to get me closer to God. And hence make me more a better servant for God to carry, carry out what he wants for us. Um, let's see. What else did I want to say before we kick this thing off? Um, that's pretty much it. I'm, I'm tired of talking this morning. Um, the questions that we had from last night, there was a lot of people that were kind of laughing and snickering and thinking, oh, I don't want to do these. <clears throat> how many of yourself, and let's be honest, we're by a raise of hands, how many of you, as you were working on those questions last night, thought to yourself that they wanted to rewrite a question? <laughs> okay. How many of you thought to yourselves, do I really have to answer this question honestly? <laughs> yeah, there's some more honesty. All right. I had one of the neatest experiences uh, last night with my wife. We're sitting over there, and she's getting ready for bed. And I said, aren't you going to do the homework? And she's like, why? I'm not an alcoholic. You know? And we sat down, and we started answering these questions. And it was a hoot. We had a blast. And she's, she's looking at me and she's going, what's your answer to number 14? <laughs> so, I, so I answer it to her. And, she, and that number 14 is, can you be alone in, uh, with yourself in quiet? You know? And I said, well, yeah. And she goes, liar, liar. You're lying. You never are alone in quiet. You've always got the TV on and the radio's going. And I said, well, I can do it. It doesn't mean that I, it's my choice. <laughs> doesn't mean I do it, but I can do it. You know? How's that for alcoholic delusion? <laughs> you know? 
the, the neat thing is we're all different and we all have interesting some of these questions you know when you're going through we're traps I don't know if you noticed that it's particularly the questions about would your family describe you and as you read that you kind of go okay well that means that I would really have to ask one of my family members and then it's the consideration that became really important when your mind snapped into okay which one of my family members would I ask and your ego immediately starts that, that file system and it starts going through, well, I don't want to ask mom because maybe my littlest son will, will, will know because he knows, you know, and you start that, who would I ask? And well, I'd ask this question to this person and this question to this person. You need to be asking yourself in your heart, why? Why would you ask that question to one person and not the other? What is it that you're afraid of? And what is the answer that's embarrassing that they're going to repeat back to you? You know, there's only one problem with the truth is you get instant results. You'll hear me say that over and over and over and over again. You know, it's might as well face it. It doesn't change it. Mark forgot his suitcase. He could have thrown a temper tantrum in Dallas DFW airport. What if that had gotten him? Nothing. You face up to it and go, you know what? I'm human. When I showed up and, and, and Glenn goes, hey, why does your, uh, your outline say secession on it? I could have gone, oh, I just embarrassed myself in front of all these people. Or I, could, I just started laughing going, well, that, guess what? I'm human. Thank you, God. You know, that's my answer. Face it. Move on. doesn't cost you anything. You know? <clears throat> Look at question number one. Have you, all, have you worked all 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous completely since coming into the program of Alcoholics Anonymous? All right? And then question number two, immediately following it, said, can you say yes to all 12 of these statements? statements? Have you admitted powerless over alcohol? Admitted your life is unmanageable? Come to believe in the power of God. Giving your will and your life over to God. Boom, boom, boom. Right down through the list. How many people in here said yes to question number one and no to question number two? A couple honest people. The real important thing is not the fact that you said yes to one and no to two. It's in the if not, why? If you understand why and you think you know why, I challenge you, please come up to the mic and talk about it because there's, I guarantee you, of the few people that raised their hand, there's a lot more people in this room that said, but they didn't want to look bad. They didn't want to raise their hand and they don't know why. And if you do know why, please share that with the group today as we go through. Sometime get up at the mic and talk about how you th could think to yourself, yeah, I've worked all 12 steps, yet there's that one financial amend that I haven't bothered to face. You know, or there's that one person who I really still want to kill that I will never forgive. And even though I harm them, it's okay. And you're still justifying in your head that your harm wasn't as big as their harm. So you don't want to take a look at that, that kind of deal. That's what this entire weekend for. That's your diamond in the mud, to use that same analogy. Let me turn it over to Mark. Morning, everybody. I'm Mark. I'm an alcoholic. Hey, Mark. <clears throat> Yeah, how much freedom do I want? How much peace do I want to experience in my uh, daily life? What a what a great deal! You go go to the ocean. You can take a thimble. You get to decide the size of the container. Uh, you want to know a little of God, or you want to know a lot of God. You know, Dave made a statement about getting closer to God, and uh, uh, it's impossible to get closer to God. Uh, really, what happens to us? is if you're willing to pursue a course of action, you just become aware, awake, mindful, and conscious of that which is always present, within and without. 
which is God and the power of God. So it's not a subject-object kind of a deal. Uh, I've always laughed at the third step uh, from a standpoint of this. Uh, I'm going to make a decision to turn my life and will over to that which is my will in life. The object is going to turn it back over to the subject. I mean, it's just our arrogance is beyond belief sometimes, isn't it? uh, So, uh, you know, Dave Dave was talking about some of the theme here is emotional sobriety. And uh, um, it's interesting in that if you look at the second and third step, in the second step it's talking about the idea of insanity around drink. Uh, and that main problem centers in your mind. And in the third step, you're going to make a decision about this will. And then 30 pages later or 28 pages later, whatever, it now tells you that you can operate along the line of your will. So I think a great question is, well, what in the heck happened in those 25 pages? I'm at a place where I, I, I can't trust my own mind, and my will obviously is not doing well. And then 25 pages later, I can operate throughout my day along the line of the will. And what is that about? And that ties into emotional sobriety and the concept of change. You and I live in a world of impermanence, uh, constant motion, everything. The extent to which your self-will is intact is the extent to which you will not have emotional sobriety. It is the extent to which change and or your life situation will begin to have a tremendous impact on you. I was talking to a gentleman earlier, and he was talking about several years ago. He had two, two and a half years of sobriety, and he went through a divorce and got drunk and stayed drunk eight years. And I said, uh, well, that's about the life situation. You know, go back to these meetings that we're going to and ask yourself, what are we really talking about in our meetings? And what we're talking about far too much is our life situation. Uh, And by the time, my experience is we need to be talking about our life. Because our life situation consistently changes. You know, what do I mean? I'll take my own. Uh, I've I've moved probably seven times in sobriety. Uh, Physical health problems, a horrible car accident, financial problems, uh, uh, divorce, Three very, very good friends uh, died of drug overdoses. Uh, one friend blew his brains out. I mean, that's, you know, uh, two and a half years ago, I was unemployed in Austin. And now I'm CEO of a company living in Dallas, and I get to work on an 1,100-acre ranch. And it, what am I saying? So, you know, how do you stay sober? How do you keep peace and serenity in the midst of all that? Well, you you do the work in the first nine steps to begin to experience having entered the world of the spirit and know that regardless of your life situation, all is well. That all is well. I mean, you know, um, uh, my father died in 86. My mother died in January of 2000. See, I live in a world of impermanence. And the extent to which I am ego-bound or self-will-bound is the extent to which I will resist change of any and all kinds. And it's absolutely a horrible way to experience life. Uh, the spirituality, the unmanageability of my life is a manifestation of my resistance to what is. See, what is is, is is what is. There's no right or wrong, good or bad. And so there's such a connection between emotional sobriety, if you will, and uh, my capacity to have peace in my life. Uh, so that's some of what we're going to you know, talk about. I, I know some of you have here been to the Fellowship of the Spirit in Colorado and 
pretty much the rest of the weekend, we're going to follow a format they work, use up there, which is Dave and I are going to share for a brief period. And then we're going to have microphones. And you all are going to share your experience with some of the spiritual exercises we've asked. Uh, that's the format they follow up there. They have workshops on the steps. And they'll have a couple of people share for about 10 minutes each. And then they have mics on the floor. And then the rest of the audience comes up and shares your experience with what it is that we're talking about. And that's pretty much the path that uh, we're going to follow. I Just two other comments. And then uh, we'd like to hear from you guys about the, uh, uh, about the exercise. Uh, exercise for me was interesting because I'm single. He's married, right? So he got different feedback from his mates. He was just... But see, I'm single, so I can operate very delusionally. And, and, and <laughs> my answers to these questions show me that I'm probably much more spiritually fit than Dave. <laughs> I was laughing hysterically watching him and his wife go back and forth with this about, you know. And, of course, it was the same thing. His response to her questions was different than hers, right? So I guess it's that thing of, I gave a woman... Uh, I sponsor a woman. She's 39 years sober. Incredible woman. And uh, she had so much self-loathing going on with her when I started working with her. and So somewhere down the road, I gave her an exercise. And uh, I mean, probably about the worst case of that I've ever seen. And uh, I gave her some exercises and it wouldn't stop. Just this beating herself up. So I gave her an exercise. And this is a woman who, who lives in Dallas that's helped. I can't tell you how many women. She's just a neat, neat woman. And uh, so the exercise was, I, want, I said, I want you to start going up to people that you know, and I want you to ask them this question. What do you think of me? Well, she did that for two weeks, and, and I'm telling you, she just wound up crying all the way through because all those people told her the things that I saw in her, which is... Uh, you're 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 an awesome woman. My God, you are so helpful. You um, and she's one of these these people that uh, if you're looking for an evasive answer, don't go to her. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, she'll just nail you right between the eyes. And she's a great member of AA and, and traditions and, and just tirelessly has been doing this thing for just years and years and years and. Uh, and there was such a shift in her from asking that question of, of, of other people because our perception of herself is uh, uh, so skewered, if you will. But uh, I think there were just two other things I want to comment on. Uh, a lot of you have talked uh, about your frustrations uh, within various groups that you're a member of, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, maybe about what's going on in the group or your concerns about the, the message of... Uh, that's being shared within the groups or or if you're doing the work out of the book going back into the group and sharing that and having people uh, assassinate your character uh, and I, I, a couple comments on that uh, one of the considerations I really would like to have uh, you all work with this weekend uh, or concept if you will is consider the idea that there's no such thing as free will uh, Boy, some of you are going to go, uh, and maybe just sit with that a little bit, and, and I'll say a few things around that, and this is going to tie into what I'm talking about. Is um, My experience is I didn't choose my name. I didn't choose my gender. I didn't choose my DNA. I didn't choose my genetics. Uh, I did not choose any of my programming. Uh, and so what does that mean? Uh, what it really means is, 
uh, based on my experience is I'm free of this idea that I had free will. Uh, my experience is there's either self-will or God's will. In that, uh, I like to think of it in terms of a computer. Computer can only put out what the hard drive is designed to put out. So you and I are going through life, we're going into meetings, or particularly let's look at a man, someone's harmed you, and you keep getting upset because the computer, i.e. this person or this group or whatever, is putting out some information that you don't agree with, and you're actually delusional enough to think it can. See? Um, whereas I begin to understand this more, and where I begin to really experience this was in my ninth step. Uh, from a standpoint of realizing that I never have ever been awakened and said, you know, I think I'll go harm this human being today. And if you're like me, this idea of choices, I would, in, in sobriety every year, you know, you sit back and you kind of look at the last year and you look at some of these, quote, choices you make because you had free will, and you go to yourself, why would I do that? What is wrong with me? And I begin to understand, and then some books came out when I started looking at this, and I said, wow. I think I've been operating under a delusion here about this free will. Uh, my brain is a reactionary tool, I mean, virtually in, in all areas. And what it, what it really did is I begin to understand. Uh, Mark, the computer can only put out what it's put out. A guy came to me the other day, set an appointment to make an amends. Uh, this is unusual for me in all my years in AA. He was a member of AA, and he was going to make an amend to me. <laughs> well, I don't know why it is. We make amends to family and stuff out there, but we don't to each other. But... Uh, so uh, we sat down, and he went through the uh, deal, and I thanked him for that, and I, and I just started laughing. So we laughed, and I said, well, I appreciate the amend, but I, I didn't take it personal because that you couldn't have done anything different than what you did. He said, what are you talking about? And I said, well, then I talked about what I'm talking about now, and he clicked in, and he got it. And I said, you didn't wake up that morning and say, I think I'll run around to three people and assassinate Mark's character. You know, I said, that's not what happens. Uh, this will tie into this issue of forgiveness. Uh, for me, there's nothing to forgive. Uh, I'm getting the best that I can possibly get from every human being that I've ever encountered. That's also back to love. See, if you don't understand this concept, how can you love unconditionally? Because you're going to have an expectation that this person should act differently. So when I go into different groups or, or anything else, I just pretend I'm sitting around with a bunch of computers and, oh, that one's spitting out that. That's, that's all they can spit out. I mean... Break it down to this. Uh, anyone, your, your sponsor transmits to you what they have, right? Can't transmit what they don't have. So we're, we have all these different expectations of people in our lives and groups, and, and we're getting all upset. And it, gosh, what a waste of time. Futility. But uh, So consider that piece. And, you know, as for the AA message, uh, our big book is, is very, very clear in here that uh, this is a basic text in that the first 174 pages of the big book is where it talks about recovery from alcoholism. So for me, what I do when I go into meetings um, and when I'm asked to share, I share about recovery as outlined in the, in the big book, and that's where I stay. Uh, I was, Dave and I were talking. I had some great, I've had some great mentors and gurus in my, in my life down to the point of talking to me about what to share and what not to share in meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, they were very, very clear with me about this. Uh, uh, very, very clear. And, uh, of course, I think over the years, 
Uh, I know Don made a statement one time, and I have to agree with it, which is every problem in AA could be solved by good sponsorship. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got to remember, I, I, I was fortunate enough to have a man take me from A to Z. This is what you don't talk about in meetings. This is what you do talk about. You don't talk for more than three to five minutes. I mean, just the, he went over everything with me. Um, and so I think there's probably a lot of merit to that. But uh, So, you know, and then the other part is, is what I've always had to do. The big book talks about why don't you create the fellowship you crave. I'm not here to change any group. I'm not here to change anybody. So what I normally do when I get moved somewhere is I start a workshop, we go through the big book, and then we start a group over the, off of that, you know. And then uh, from there I just travel around, go to different meetings, do what, do what I do. But uh, So anyhow, uh, give some of those things considerations. I think what I'd love to do now is I'd like to hear from some of you about some of the work and some of the experiences that you had maybe with some of this stuff. One last point. 11 step, constructive review. Constructive. You know, you sit and you look at these 30 questions. Constructive. This is not about... Uh, uh, Public humiliation. Yeah. You know, I, I read one time, I, I've always loved this, uh, a saint is just a sinner who never gave up. You know, uh, I think as long as I'm in this body-mind organism, I'm probably going to fall short on any, every given day that I roam the planet. So, uh, uh, But I don't do that... Uh, uh, I do it constructively. It's not a tool to, uh, so there's no arrival place. So at any rate, we'd like to hear from you guys on some of your experiences with it. So uh, we've got a couple mics, uh, one over there, one here. So the other step thing, up. The other thing that Mike talked about is three minutes. We're going to try to keep our, our things, so we're going to be running a three-minute timer so we don't get long-winded. So, so we give, because there's, there's over 100 people in this room, so we want to give everybody a chance. And we are trying to keep these sessions down to an hour so that people that can get get to the bathrooms and stuff. So, who wants to be first? And when you when you talk, please uh give us your name so because everybody doesn't know you who you are. I'm an alcoholic. My name is Frank. Hey Frank. Um to uh step or to one and two. Uh I said no to a lot of things on this to be honest. Um, I have amends that I that I'm scared to make, um, where in which I uh, robbed someone when I was a little kid, and uh, I've had several occasions over the years on where I was face to face with them, where she was my substitute teacher later on, then she was my kids' teachers. Used to have to go in front of her. I plowed a driveway next to her. I see her out there shoveling the snow. <laughs> I mean, and I don't know how much money it is, but the money is not the point because I got it to give to her. Just scared. Um, I've been talking with my sponsor about it over last weekend, and he says I got to do it, and I'm still scared to do it. Um, a few questions, like Dave was saying last night, I had asked asked my better half over here, "Am I that? <laughs> do I do that?" <laughs> and because I don't know, um, so that's a little bit of honesty. Do you do that? Do I do what? You said do, you asked to ask her, do I do that? Was she giving you honest answers? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Hurts, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And um, I guess I should really take more attention and ask more people around me, um, what can I do better to be better to them? Or you know, Because a lot of times I'm inconsiderate to people, and I really don't know that I'm being inconsiderate because I'm just being me. And if I don't ask them, you know, why are you mad at me or... Why are you walking on eggs when I walk into my shop? I don't, I don't know. So that's a big thing that I've been working on in the past, uh, past few months. 
Thanks. Thanks, Frank. Thanks for sharing. One of the things we're going to be working on this weekend is we're going to do an entire exercise just on fear to help us with fears because fears are what are going to kill us. They're absolutely deadly to us as alcoholics. How many people are here that are, are married or in a significant relationship have a significant other that aren't here in order to do these questions with? Here's a challenge for you. For you people, take these sheets home and ask the questions of your spouse. You know, I had, you know, Mark gave me some, I asked Mark, we started talking about these, these steps to put these things together and, and these exercises. And he sent me some questions and I added some questions and hence the, the, the exercise you guys did last night. Well, I typed it all into the computer. I'm thinking to myself, I know this. Why should I do it? I said, ah, open mind, no prejudice. I got some jewels out of this. You know, I had a shift of, of consciousness yesterday, and I'm writing, and then sharing with my wife and, and having her look at me, and, you know, with the old, uh, you're lying, you're lying, you know, and, and I'm laughing. And I said, well, how did you answer this question? Now we're playing back and forth. You know, for example, you know, uh, there was one question about, uh, are, you, are you angered easily? She's like, well, no. And I said, whoa, whoa, time out. I said, what if it's 6 o'clock and, and, uh, and if somebody calls, cold calls us to, to sell us you know, a, a, a TV dish, you know, a, a satellite dish? I said, you pick up the telephone and you're like, don't ever call me again. Bang. And she goes, yeah, but the question says, are you having trouble in personal relationships? I'm not having a personal relationship. You know, it can go both directions. You know, we, we can, if you give an alcoholic an out, We'll try to take it. One of the questions she's saying, you should, this question was written by now. You should have written this question differently. It should say all in here. So the answer is now. <laughs> you know? There was a reason that it was written the way it was. But if you're, if you're in here and you're looking for those escapes, those outs, they're all over the place. Remember what willingness is. Eagerly compliant. We can't show you something that you're not, you don't want to see. All we can do is try to reflect the sunlight of the Spirit so that you can illuminate some area of your life. And God's grace lasts only as long as ignorance. You cannot not go make that amend. Or you will be drinking. You, I guarantee you, you will drink over that eventually. It may take six years, ten years. And I guarantee you, you won't find true peace and happiness. The serenity where you can walk down. Imagine turning the corner in the supermarket and walking down the aisle and here she comes after this weekend. And you know what you've got to do. You know, we're going to help you, give you the tools to carry that out. Over here. You got it? Okay. Here, it's coming right there. Hi, everyone. My name is Cindy, and I'm an alcoholic. Hey, Cindy. Um, it's really strange, but... We were listening to um, a, t a CD of yours, Mark, um, on the way out here last night. And um, the part uh, or the uh, subject of um, resentments came up and how uh, you can't control what other people do or what they say. And I'm just a little confused because I had to pause it. Because I was like, no, he's wrong. <laughs> and I'm discussing this with my boyfriend. And um, he's trying to explain to me what it was that you really meant by this. And I'm trying to explain what I learned in AA over the past eight years, that I no longer have to be, you know, um, 
the rug that people just wipe their feet on, you know, that I should stand up for myself. And it, and I think I'm more... I think I'm misunderstanding what AA is trying to relay to me as, as far as standing up for myself goes, because I find myself pointing people's character defects out and being vicious, you know, like, well... <laughs> You know, this is how you behave, and it's all wrong. If you worked your program, you know, I, I got into this horrible um, argument with my sister-in-law a few weeks ago, and um, and and so I'm I'm just a little confused as to how to handle situations like that. Like, do I just let it go and pray for her and pretend that my feelings weren't hurt by her behavior? Is that what you're trying to say? Or I'm just confused, and I just want to thank that gentleman back there because I, too, have a financial amends that I am, and I've been doing this for eight years, and I've pretty much made every amends that I've had to um, except the one. And uh, I'm so afraid to do it. But I have had the opportunity, like he said, to make the amends. Um, but so that's it. I just, I just want some feedback on that. Thank you. To, uh, there's two things you do with that. Um, one, it, resent means to revisit. So if your mind, I'll talk about this later on in the week in the 11th step there, describes the thinking mind, the working mind, but if your mind is revisiting the resentment, then you write a four-column inventory. That's one piece that you describe. The second is you are describing an emotional response to an external event, correct? And I'll talk about, I can give you some tools in which Emotions just happen. The key is that you do not get involved with the emotion. The extent to which you get involved with the emotion is the extent to which you'll have an extreme reaction. And it's always about the ego. For me, emotions arise and emotions happen. Example, you, let's say you have a sage, someone who's enlightened, whatever that means, and another person. They'll both get angry. The difference is though you and I will get involved with our anger. The sage just watches the anger arise but does not get involved with it and the next minute turns around and laughs. See, there's a deal about you, you, you begin to experience your life happening but you're no longer involved with your life. And I'll address a little later too this issue of standing up for yourself, etc., etc. or this idea I've got to... My inventory revealed I didn't need to learn to love myself more. I love myself way too much. Uh, and so my inventory revealed I needed to learn to love you a lot more. So, you know, and my inventory revealed that I'm not a people pleaser. Uh, I've always laughed at that one. I mean, I've heard meetings devoted to that. I, my book says that the root of my problem is I'm selfish and self-centered. And those two words in people pleasing do not fit in the same box. The only time I did anything to please you when I'm into self-will is because I want something from you. So really they're two separate, uh, two separate things. And I'll, I'll, I'll talk more, a little bit more about that. The bottom of the, uh, the greeting exercise, which, by the way, you guys are doing fantastic on. I've been watching. Um, there was those uh, compassion questions. How many of those questions made you uncomfortable? Yeah. 
the person you were describing, I guess it was your sister or somebody, that you got in this big knockdown drag out, get the mental image. When people do that to you, what I do is I get the mental image of they're the beggar. They're the person that normally I would walk past, you know, that's sleeping, you know, in clothes that they've never washed, you know, and they're sleeping in a cardboard box on, on the street corner, and I'm going to pass by them. And if they say something to me, I'm going to pretend I'm not going to hear it. You know, when they're spiritually hurting and they're retorting to you and you feel that welling up in you, give them compassion and unconditional love. You know, it's much easier to say than it is to do. It takes practice, 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 practice. One of the exercises I've been doing lately is when I go, I I travel for a living and I go over to London all the time and I go around London, you know, and I always get, they have, they're, they're very much into silver coins. You know, so they don't, they're not a whole bunch of bills. They, they tend to give you dollars or would be a little silver coin or pounds actually. And I'll get a bunch of pounds and I'll just walk around the streets in London when I'm there doing my own errands and stuff. And the beggars that are lying there that aren't asking for anything, I'll give them just as an example. I just give them a pound out of nowhere, particularly if they're asleep. I'll walk over and I'll, I'll wake them up and I'll say, here, this is for you. And I'll try to walk away and they're stunned. They're startled. They don't know why. I started learning compassion that way because I was having a real hard time, especially with the people that are asking for money. I couldn't do that. And then it's slowly been softening my heart as I go through this exercise. And what does it cost me? Nothing. You know, a couple pounds. Big deal. You know, it may make a huge difference to them. It's sort of like the guy that comes up to me and I know he's an alcoholic and he's got, he wants three bucks. And he says, you know, I haven't eaten in a while. In the old days, I'd say, okay, I'll, let's go to McDonald's. I'll get you. Okay, that was my attempt at control because I knew that he was going to go. Now, I say, you going to go drink with this? And if he's honest enough to say, yeah, I say, God bless you. Here, here's 20 bucks. You know, I hope it gets you, gets you to us sooner. I used to be just like you, you know, and it's compassion. It's love, you know, practice, 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 practice. In the back, you got a mic? Mike's got a mic. It's coming. It's coming to you. Is it on? I can't hear you. Turn the bottom on. It's dead. It's on. There you go. Hi, my name is Richie New from uh, Fellowship of the Spirit Group in Port Jefferson, Long Island. Um, Hi, I found this exercise uh, enlightening, <laughs> to say the least. Um, one of the things uh, that really got me was um, question eight. You know, are you full of fear in your relationships, and is your life shot through with fear? And what are your fears? Um, the reason that really grabbed me was because um, I had gotten sober 13 years ago, almost 14 years ago, and was sober for a while. And then, um, because of huge resentment and a lot of other things, went out after almost seven years, and took me four and a half years to crawl back. And um, I got a sponsor that was like really into the big book, which I was too, had, had been, but um, I did the steps, you know, the fourth step especially, just, and there was the one thing I hadn't done the first time was uh, the list of the fears. And um, that was, to me, that was a turning point in my sobriety because I, I had never realized that fear absolutely ran my life with an iron fist. And... Um, and I'd be, once I became aware of them, it was a lot easier to see them. Like, I didn't even see that they were controlling everything I did. You know, fears 
And um, and I thought I had gotten a somewhat of a control of them. And uh, it's just uh, so much. Uh, and a lot of the ones that I thought I had dealt with and become aware of are all right there again. And um, just a few of them. Well, one of them, as I was writing, was fear of the seminar. I thought it was coming here to, to, to relax. <laughs> this is going to be work. <laughs> going to go home exhausted. Um, but, uh, you know, a lot of the old fears. And to me, they were like... Uh, my fears, I always looked at as not, not silly fears, but uh, um, unreasonable fears. Like, I fear, like, people saying, fear of rejection and people saying no to me. You know, I, I always want everyone to like me and stuff, but yet I rush in where angels, I'm, but I'm not afraid of things that I should be. Like, I rush in where angels fear to tread. And um, th- that, uh, the, the craziness, the insanity. And, um, and it was, you know, you talked about relationships, and, like, I've been out of one, and a lot, a lot of the old stuff is coming back up with my ex-wife. And, um, it's, I feel a resentment growing. So we've been getting along really well for a while. And a lot of the old stuff is coming right back up. And, um, and yet I want to I move on. I want get to in, get into... Uh, that was one of the ones you asked about, you know, what do you, what do you hope for the future? And I was like, you know, a happy, healthy relationship. And, but yet some of my fears is... One of my biggest fears, because I've been on my own for almost eight years, is... The fear of giving up my autonomy. I love being able to go where I want, where I want, when I want, and do what I want, and not have to answer to anyone. And that's a real fear of letting go of that. I've become very comfortable doing what I want when I want, and not having to answer to anyone. And um, that um, that absolutely terrifies me <laughs> to have an answer to someone as much as I want that. You know, contradictory fears, and um, and I'm also facing uh, career change, and. Uh, you know, the fear of just starting all over again, going to the bottom of the heap. You know, because I'm very good at what I do and I'm, you know, I'm used to, uh, to giving the orders and people listening to me and people seeking me out for answers and having to go and be, you know, low man on the totem pole and start all over again is, uh, you know, I'm like, I'm too old for this shit. <laughs> but, uh, but I've been at this place for probably seven or eight years you know, of wanting to, like, move on. I know what I'm doing is something I ever, never really wanted to get into, even though I do it well, and um, has been pretty good to me. But uh, it was never in the uh, the game plan. And uh, it just, this was, like I said, really enlightening just to uh, see where, how, how the fears, as much as I, you know, you talk about the delusions and the rationalizations, that I thought I had actually gotten some of this stuff under control. And when I really sat here and started thinking about it last night, um... Nowhere. And someone had mentioned the amends, some of the amends that I haven't made. And one of them is to my ex-wife. I've made tremendous amends, but I've never sat down and made a formal sat, sit down. You know, I mean, I've made the financial amends and then some, a lot of it out of guilt. I've gone to the other extreme, overcompensated, but never actually just sat down and um, made complete amends. And part of that was because I like to justify because there was a lot of harm done in the other direction, too. You know, and so that justifies my not having to go there. So uh, I just uh, I'm grateful that I am be here, that I'm here, and like uh, Marcus said, I don't think there's any accident that was here. So thanks. Thanks for sharing. Um, Mike, did you want to comment? Here's the mic. Would you turn the, that mic off in the bottom, please? 
We're going to do an entire session on forgiveness, which I think is going to open your eyes to your to your ex-wife. Hi, everyone. My name is Mike. I'm an alcoholic. Hey, Mike. From New Jersey. Um, first of all, I had to start coming to weekends like this without any expectations whatsoever because I, I really got tired of putting guys like Dave and Mark in column one and writing down why they pissed me off in column two. So... <laughs> I really try my darndest to come, come here to not expect any, anything at all. Did um, you ever carry that out to the ninth step? <laughs> <laughs> we'll be open for business later. <laughs> I didn't play a part in it. <laughs> um, I, I love exercises like this because, I, I don't know, sometimes for myself, I, I think, having gone through the steps a few times, the ego just seems to get bigger, you know, and I don't know if that's the case or not, but I, knew, I know that the, if my ego is a rock, the sledgehammer has to become bigger and it has to get heavier, you know, and uh, so I, I call exercises like this uh, bubble busters because just when I think I'm doing good, I get my bubble busted. Uh, I want to add to one of the, the uh, show of hand questions that, that Dave had posed because uh, it, it was a question in my mind. It was, it was something that I experienced when, when going through this. How many people in the room, when out of the yes or no questions had a very difficult time giving a yes or no answer, right? I got one like this for number 15. It begins with maybe sometimes. (laughs) The other thing I wanted to talk about was that... uh, You know, I, I guess I, I don't care how many times I go through this work, but I still seem to be asleep in certain areas of my life. Just when I think I'm, a, I'm awake, aware, and mindful, another area of my life will crop up and, and I'm asleep. And with the question about controlling, that was the one where I had to ask my wife, am I like that? And I asked her that for a specific reason because I couldn't see it, but there's something that... There's a person in my life that I view as controlling, and I'm always criticizing that person about his, quote, control issues. And I know enough today that, uh, you know, I, I, I reflect what I am. So I, I had to ask that. And uh, Mark, I had a question for you. You made a statement last night, and, and I can't remember exactly what you said, but it was concerning the ego. And... I hope I'm not messing this up too much, but you said something to the effect that at least my mind processes it as don't judge your own ego. Um, if you can remember what you said last night. No, which I, I said don't, don't fight your ego. Don't fight your ego. Can you kind of broaden and deepen that statement a little bit? You know, what did you mean by that? Well, there's nothing but God. Everything has been created by that source, including the ego. 
the big book talks about, we hope you're convinced now that only God can remove whatever self-will has you blocked off. Um, at some point in time, that which created the ego is, is that which must ultimately destroy the ego. So what I have come to learn is cease fighting anything or anybody, including how my ego operates. I do not resist that anymore because that which I resist will persist. So that's what I meant by that. You know, again, you're back to the idea that my self-will can't eliminate my self-will, the idea that I'm going to work on me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, think about that. I'm going to work on me. What? That isn't, that isn't what happens, really. You know, you look at the third step, with God's help, I can be rid of self. Somewhere then in four through nine, you begin to get detached from the ego and begin to experience who and what you really are, what you were prior to entering that body and what you'll be after you leave that body. And uh, it's back to what I was thinking about what the woman was talking about earlier. I have not engaged in any kind of argument like she's talking about in years. And the reason is because the part of me that would need for you to agree no longer exists. If you can, so my experience is cease fight anything or anybody, including my ego, including how I operate, those kinds of things. Uh, I spent years trying to remake myself, if you will. So that's what I meant by that. Are you saying that ego is God-given? Well, what isn't of God? Here's a concept. It's just a concept, and they change all the time for me. Here's the concept that I'm working with right now. There's nothing but the will of God. Nothing but. Never has been, never will be. I don't have a clue what that is, because only God has all the cards. But there's nothing but the will of God, and that means that God created my ego as well as everything else. That which has created it. You know, a man many years ago made a statement which, which I truly understand. And here's what he said. He said, your ego is as mysterious and powerful as God himself as far as you're concerned. And you cannot defeat your ego. It takes the best of us. And I know exactly what he, what he meant by that. And strangely enough, my ego begins to weaken when I no longer resist. When I lo no longer resist that, when I cease fighting when I accept where I am, wherever it is, in a constructive way. When we start talking about 10 and 11, there's one word in there, the word watch, which I've been working with for years. That makes a huge difference. And you can get into the place where you can watch yourself starting that argument and pick up on that voice that's going off in your head. That'll help you. We're just about out of time. We've got enough for two really quick ones. Hi, my name's Linda. I'm an alcoholic. I just want to quickly say thank you to both of you. This is absolutely amazing. My heart is like pounding out of my chest because everything you're saying is just so close to what I think. Um, I do have a fear, though, because I feel what Dave has been talking about, um, that God's will, that's the conclusion I came to, is absolutely everything. Um, that everything that we're doing... All right, it, it's, I'll try and put it into... Um, I'm starting to feel like, like the third step says, made a decision to turn our lives and will over to the care of God. It's almost an ego-driven thing to do the steps because if, in fact, God is in charge, um, why then would we have to do these exercises, these columns, these things only to prove to ourselves on a piece of paper um, stuff that, A, I think I already know through 
because I am a pretty insightful person about myself. And I feel like, um, I feel very scared because I feel that if, if God's will is everything, then we, like for me, maybe God's will is for me to just be miserable forever. <laughs> and I don't know that I have any power to change that. And I know that I have prayed in the past for that to change. And I've done things and it hasn't. So does anybody have an answer for that? Like, why are we doing these exercises then? And why do we participate in meetings if, in fact, we really don't have a say in it? Two things, and I don't mean to be flippant about this. Why do we need to know? Just do the exercise and see what comes happens after that, number one. And two, if you could even possibly have the concept in your mind that the God of your choice, of your conception, would want you to be miserable, you need to take a look at that choice of your God. Because my experience confirms to me that my God is nothing but love, kindness, and compassion. You know, but there's, wait till the end of the weekend, see when you get to the, the end. All suffering is self generated. Absolutely. And we'll take a break on that note. <laughs>